Good morning, Village Church East. He is risen. He is risen Man, I love that we did only do that once a year, though. That's kind of a drag, isn't it? We should be doing that every... Do you know every Sunday, the reason we gather is because Jesus is risen. That's why we gather on the first day of the week. It's the best of our days. It's the first of our days. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we gather on Sundays. But on this special Sunday, on Easter Sunday, this is the day that we really get to project that. This is the day we celebrate that one event. Whether it happened on this day actually 2,000 years ago or not, that's debatable. But this is the day we set aside so that we can remember it, remember it specifically on this day. So you are here on a good day. It is good to see you all here this morning. Did you enjoy your food this morning? Was that nice? Yeah. I need to say a special thank you to all of you people who got up so early this morning to both do the baskets for your children, if you still had to do that, and bake this morning, because we had that whole table right over there filled with food, and everybody got to eat, and so I just want to say thank you to all of those, for Leah, for putting this all together, organizing everything. Thank you, ladies and men, for all the work that you have done. It was already an awesome morning uh, fellowshipping together. Now we get to dig into God's Word together and learn a little bit about the resurrection. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. You probably saw me in, uh, in the video there. You know, I think they took like 20 different footage pieces of me, and that's the one they chose to put in. So that's, that's all right. We're used to that. All right. Belief in an empty tomb has proven to be quite controversial for many, many years. It's hard to convince somebody that somebody rose from the dead. Now, here's the interesting part that you may not be aware of. If you were to do the research on this today on you know, one of the infamous uh, uh, trustworthy sites like Google, you will find that uh, more people today believe in the resurrection than in the last 50 years. So there's, a, there's been a transition that happens. The challenge is, what do you do with that information? Like, it's enough to, is it enough to believe that something happened, or do you have to believe it to the point where you actually do something with the information? The tipping point for the entire Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Truth no longer would be relevant if Jesus had not risen from the dead. Paul the Apostle put it this way, and by the way, Paul is in ministry not five years after Jesus has resurrected from the dead and ascended back to his father. But there were still those in Paul's day who were questioning the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. Paul said this resurrection is so essential to what we believe as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. He said it this way. Now I would remind you, brothers, this is out of 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of what? How much importance, church? I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here it is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now that's one gathering, of many of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And then he goes on to say, and then he appeared to me, the least of the apostles, in the next verse over. The Bible makes it very clear that the resurrection is the tipping point of all Christian faith. 
In fact, he goes on to say in 15 verse 14, if you read down a couple more verses in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what, church? Our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So I ask you, how important is the resurrection to our belief system as followers of Jesus Christ? It's essential because if Christ is not risen, then guess what? Neither will we. The whole thing is a sham. For many of us, though, who have attended funerals, people that we love and people that we may not know all that well, it's a very interesting concept to consider that death can be beaten. Because when you go to a funeral, it seems pretty solid. It seems pretty final. You don't typically think that you're gonna get to see this person three days later. Well, the same kind of understanding has completely permeated human history. You're not unusual. That's why in Jesus' day, even the disciples had a very difficult time believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the good news is this. God understands our questioning heart. It is very unusual for anyone who's attended a funeral to plan a coffee meeting with the same person three days later. And yet that's exactly what happened to the apostles. That's what happened to the disciples of Jesus Christ. God has given us incredible depth of coverage over these resurrection events so that we can both see the resurrected Jesus Christ and we can believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I wanna to talk to you this morning about why this resurrection is so important for anyone to have faith. And I invite you this morning to come and see, like all of those in Jerusalem, Easter morning 2,000 years ago, and let's see what we see. I take you to the passage in Matthew chapter 28. This is the passage of the resurrected Christ, the passage of his resurrection. And I'm gonna deal with the entire chapter this morning. So I'm not gonna keep you uh, li like long enough to, uh, to bore you with the whole chapter, but uh, we're gonna hit various different parts of this because I want you to see, to walk through the events of the day and to kind of put the shoes on of the people that we're exploring together. What did, they, what did they come for? What did they see and how did they walk out of this situation? To set the stage, you need to understand what they expected. Mary and some of her friends went to the tomb that morning and they were gonna put spices at the tomb. The reason you did that was because when people rotted, they stink. And if there's somebody that you love, you don't want them to ha that to happen. You wanna protect their dignity. We kinda of still do the same thing today when we put flowers at graves. We wanna protect the dignity and honor the person that we have buried there. Mary comes with other women that same morning for that same purpose to pay homage, to pay honor to the person that was inside the grave. The interesting thing is she knew there was a stone rolled across the entrance of this tomb. That was unusual. You don't typically put a stone at the entrance of a tomb. Do you know why you wouldn't typically do that? The only people that really protected their tombs were the Egyptians. They protected them not because they were scared of people getting out, but because they were scared of people getting in, because they buried people with all kinds of jewelry and expensive gold and things like that. But the Jews did not do that. The Jews simply put the body in the grave and the, and the grave, you know, nature will take over. But this tomb had a stone in front of it. The stone was put in front of it 
because somebody was afraid, the authorities were afraid, that the people who believed that there would be a resurrection because rumors were floating around, they put a stone there because they didn't want anybody stealing the body and then coming up with this fabrication that Jesus had risen from the dead. The women were on their way to a stone. They were on the way to a, a covered grave. And it's pretty clear that they don't fully understand what's gonna happen when they get there. Maybe they'll put the, the spices underneath the stone. It's, it's just not clear. What is clear is they wanted to be near their savior. They wanted to be near the one they thought was the Messiah. And as they were coming to the tomb, they were not happy. They were distraught. It's also interesting that for the Jewish people, you cannot be around a dead body or else you're unclean. And that opens a whole can of worms. You gotta go through a seven day purification process just to get clean again. You can't talk to people during that time. You can't do your regular chores during that time. But they were willing to be near this dead body because they loved Jesus that much. So they're on their way to the tomb, not in any way to rejoice, but they're on their way to the tomb completely broken, completely beat down, and they have to wait three days because it's a holy week, and they wait, wait, wait until the day they can finally come over there so they wouldn't break the Jewish law. And it's very interesting that they left to go to the tomb in the early dark of the morning. You know what that tells me also? They couldn't wait. They wanted to be there as soon as the sun came up. That's how much they loved Jesus. That's why the verse starts off like it does. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. When I read this passage in Matthew 28, all I can see is the condescension of God to come down to where we are to make it so easy for us to believe. Why did God roll the stone away? It's, very, it's a very interesting uh, idea. The ladies couldn't move it. They couldn't get in. The guards, they weren't allowed to move it. They were, by the way, you don't put guards at a tomb either, right? <laughs> That's a unique concept. Not the, the stone was not enough for the Roman authorities. They wanted a guard there too, to guard and make sure nobody messes with this dead body because if they did, they would make up a story and there would be an uprising and the Romans didn't want to deal with that. So they put guards there as well. There's no way that Mary could roll the stone away. The guards weren't allowed to roll the stone away. And so you know, know what happened? God rolled the stone away. God did what the ladies couldn't do. God did what the guards weren't allowed to do. God did this so that not Jesus could get out. He'd already left. It's so that we could see in. God graciously rolled the stone away before she arrives. By the way, Jesus, when he was risen, in another gospel, it says that he passed through his grave clothes. Uh, when they were in the up, upper room, just a, a few hours after this, the door was locked from the inside, and Jesus appears to them. So it's clear that Jesus, in his glorified, resurrected body, obviously can move through hard objects. He could have moved through the stone. So why was the stone rolled away? The stone was rolled away so that all of Jerusalem could see in. Not so Jesus could get out. That's how God condescends to us, because he knows it's easier for us to believe when we see. 
The Bible goes on to say in, verse, uh, in chapter 28, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. <laughs> I like how he says that. I know you seek Jesus. Remember, he was just killed. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. <laughs> Don't you love that? Jesus meets them and says, how's it going? <laughs> greetings. And they come up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. By the way, Every time Jesus was attempted to be worshiped for the miracles that he did before his resurrection, he always rejected that worship. But the minute he raises from the dead and these women see him and they fall at his feet and they worship him, he accepts their worship because only gods rise from the dead. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Verse six says, come and see the place where he lay. This is the angels talking to these women who are distraught and broken and thinking they're going to a graveside to put the flowers down, to put the spices down, to protect the honor and the dignity of the one that they loved. And they meet this angel and the angel said, you got it all wrong. He's not here anymore. You missed him. You just, seriously, you just missed him. They're confused. They're fearful. And they see the place where he was. I love that God is so gracious to help our inability to believe. By the way, you may not know this, but Jesus hung around for 40 days after this. And all he did was appear to person after person after person. And at one time, like we read earlier, he appeared to 500 people at one time. Do you know why he did that? I mean, he could have ascended right to the Father. He could have fulfilled scripture that way. The reason he did that was to help us. Because not only now could you travel to Jerusalem, go to the tomb, the only one, by the way, that has a stone beside it. It's not easy to confuse with other tombs. You can go to the tomb, you can look inside, and you can see that he's not there, but maybe that's not enough for you. So Jesus hangs around for 40 days. Why? Because he knows it's hard for us to believe if we don't see. I love the angel said, come and see it for yourself. See the place where he lay. And then be, be ready because Jesus is going to start showing up to all of your friends. So, just, you know, so they don't have a heart attack. Just let them know he's coming. Why would he do that? Because he, he knows it's easier for us to believe when we see. And the one thing all those disciples and many others had in common was that they all claimed to talk to Jesus personally after he rose from the dead. You want to know why the church is still around today? This is why. There's no other religion on the planet that claims an arisen Messiah, only Christianity. And when you not only come and believe it and see it, but you welcome it into your thought process and into your heart and you believe it so that you live it out, the truths that that makes come alive in your heart, it's hard to kill that kind of a movement. And they have for centuries. But the church will never die because risen people, uh, it's hard to kill that. In fact, it's impossible. The women, after they leave this place, they're, they're, they're uh, 
attitudes, their character, their hearts changed completely. You remember how they went to the tomb? Were they joyful and ecstatic? No. They were going to put flowers at the tomb. They were going to weep at the tomb. It's what you do when you can go visit one that you loved. But on their way back from the tomb, their attitudes were completely shifted. Completely changed. From weeping and mourning to spending enormous time in rejoicing and elation. Something happened. The women, it says, returned with fear and great joy. And then when they saw Jesus, they ended up falling at his feet and worshiping him. And they worshiped him because he was all he claimed to be. Only gods rise from the dead. And by the way, we could do a whole nother series on this uh, called Apologetics, and we could talk about, well, Craig, well, some people might say, well, maybe he just swooned on the cross, or maybe he just was overcome by the, um, by the whips and the beatings and the, and the turmoil that he went through, and maybe he didn't really die on the cross, maybe he just passed out. Um, but there's so much evidence against that. Uh, the Romans would definitely not bury a person that they consider to be this much of a a hassle for them, without making sure that he was dead. The Roman centurion at the cross, putting a, uh, a spear through his side, pier- per- piercing his heart. I mean, you, you know all of these stories. I mean, the, it is very clear that Jesus died. And, and in case you don't buy any of that, like, like maybe he passed out and he just went to the tomb and then he recovered, how do you move the stone away? I mean, you got so many different problems. You, you got his mother at the bottom of the cross. You think his mother is going to bury him if she's not sure that he's dead? You see, you've got a lot of problems with this. The only answer you have is that there was a real Jesus. He was a real problem. The Romans really killed him. The Jews, both the Jews had three trials for him. The Romans had three trials for him. They all wanted to get rid of him. They let a, a, a thief go in his place because they were more scared of him than they were of Barabbas. And they end up killing him, making sure he's dead, and putting him in a tomb and covering it with a stone and two guards. You tell me, was Jesus dead? Absolutely. They were sure of it. The thing that they weren't sure of is what happens next. Nobody was sure of that. All they were sure of is what death brings to our minds, and that is a finality. And even those who were close to him, although they prayed that they would see him again, even they bought the fact that once dead, always dead. When Jesus shows up, having raised from the dead, there's nobody that can do that. I mean, he's talked about raising people from the dead. He's talked about raising himself from the dead. He's talked about this before. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, it's clear that he can do that. But it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to pull it off. And nobody thought he could pull it off. In fact, he would say, John John 10, earlier in his ministry, he said, no one takes it, meaning his life. No one takes my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. Romans, Jewish people, it doesn't matter. If I'm going to die, it's going to be on my own accord, he says. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority. Church, what did he say? I have authority to what? To take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. Jesus rose from the dead. So you can come and you can see and you can believe like these ladies. Or you can come and you can see and you can ignore. There was a group of people that 
did that in Jesus' day. In Matthew 28, actually the next verse. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by at night and stole him while you were sleeping. (laughs) And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and we'll keep you out of trouble. This is a Roman cover-up. So unlike American politics, isn't it? So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews even to this day. Do you know what I love about this part of the story? Nobody argues with the guards. Did you catch that? Nobody argues with them. Uh, So you picture this. So uh, we don't really know what happened. We were like just standing there at the tomb and you know where the stone was? And Jim was on one side and I was on the other. And Jim made me talk, talk. He wanted me to talk, so I'm telling you what happened and please don't kill me. Um, so there's this earthquake and the stone rolled away. I don't know what happened after that, but we looked inside, there's no body there and there's this angel thing sitting on the stone. And I know this sounds weird, but I'm just asking you, would, would you possibly believe this story? And they don't argue about the story. Don't you think that's really weird? Don't you think somebody in the court, these high paid position, authority people, don't you think they would say, uh, you're fired and you're about to be killed, we're gonna destroy you and burn your family's homes down and, uh, and you shouldn't drink so much. You know, something should have happened. But there was no argument. There was, this is what happened. It's almost like they were expecting it. So the guards sold themselves out. They sold out their reputation as guards for a lie that their authorities told them to tell. Why? Because they couldn't argue with the events of the day. Nobody was arguing about what happened in the day. All they could do was, how do we cover it up? The guards would risk their lives and their reputation for this lie. This bribe was given to them because they thought they had no other option. They were so convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead that they didn't even argue the point that he did. All they did was go into immediate cover-up mode. Why? Because they saw the angel. They saw the stone rolled away. They saw the empty tombs, the empty tomb. They saw the grave clothes sitting there like the body had been in there and the headband wrapped and neatly put into a corner. And they thought to themselves, how do you argue this? Their only option was to go after a man who they saw rise from the dead. So what's that gonna look like? I mean, do you put an APB out for somebody that just was killed three days earlier? You'd look like an idiot. So they don't put an all points bulletin out for somebody that was dead and now is walking around. They can't do that. They're gonna look, they're gonna look dumb. So they choose the next best thing. They ignore the whole thing. They sweep it away. They give the guards that were there who convinced what happened, they give them some money. They said, we're not gonna harm you. No one's gonna die. We're not gonna burn your house down. Just Don't tell anybody. 
these guys allowed themselves to be bought off so they could save their own hide. They chose to ignore the whole thing. They saw something that could have changed them, that could have changed their eternity, and they chose to ignore it. What did it get for them to close their eyes to the reality of Jesus' resurrection? Cash. A little bit of cash. I wonder in our world how many people celebrate Easter or recognize, like 75% of Americans now recognize the resurrection of the dead, but choose, instead of to follow through and see what it means for them, ignore the ramifications of what it means for somebody to actually rise from the dead. And so they ignore it. I wonder how much it takes for people to ignore that. Cares of this world entangle all of us and get our eyes off of what really brings life. But let me ask you, if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead and through it has all authority so that not only he can raise himself from the dead, but he can raise all of you from the dead and anyone who believes in Jesus Christ so they will never die, but they'll have eternal life, why in the world would you want to cover that up? Why would you want to ignore it? There are deeper ramifications if we choose this route. Some come, see, and they ignore. In fact, a lot do. Because it's easier to ignore it than to discover the ramifications of a risen Savior. Last week, you remember the, when we talked about Palm Sunday, some of those guys ignored who Jesus was because they loved the approval of men more than the approval of God. And that still is true today. Jesus said, I have come to bring life and life more abundant. Until we really buy that, we'll never be compelled to really come see and believe. Many people will still come see and ignore. Some came and they saw and they doubted. This will blow you away. <laughs> this is the next verse, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now notice these words carefully. This is very interesting. Who were the 11 people that went to Galilee? They were who? The 11 who were they? Disciples. Okay, so the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Why did they go to Galilee? Because the angel told Mary to tell the guys, get to Galilee. That's where Jesus is going to appear next, right? So they're going where Jesus told them to go. Go to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. What does the next three words say? Who were these guys again? They were disciples. They had heard Jesus teaching for the last three years. They had forsaken life as, as they knew it to follow this guy they thought was the Messiah. They had buried him. They had run away from him at the Mount of Olives on Good Friday. They had, they had been around Peter when Peter claimed to be all that and more and then denied him three times in front of the Sanhedrin. They had seen all of it. <laughs> You'd think by now, they'd think to themselves, oh, he's risen from the dead. Phew, everything he said was right. Woohoo! Uh, so we're, we're, we saw the empty tomb, okay? All the 11 people saw it. They all saw it. Okay, and, and Jesus said, go where next? When's he gonna? Okay, go to Galilee. So they actually pick up their stuff and pack up their gear and they head up to Galilee, all right? That's a long trip, about 30 miles. They go up there. They're dedicated followers of Jesus and then Jesus shows up. And you'd think at this point, it would be like, wow, it is true. It's really, really him. But the verse ends by saying, and some still doubt it. Don't you just want to shake them and just 
what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Jesus didn't do that, not as far as we know. Maybe he did. With Thomas, he was very gracious to him. But I want you to see from these verses, these are not strangers. These are disciples. And even they had a hard time believing. Even they doubted. I also find it interesting that they started doubting when? They started doubting when they saw him. It's one thing to heal the sick, raise the dead, feed 5,000, give sight to the blind. It's quite another to raise yourself from the dead. But for some people, it's still just not enough. You know what this simply shows me? Death has us all snowed. Death has us all convinced of a lie. And the lie is this, there is no greater power over human beings than death itself. That is the lie. That is the lie. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life. The lie is the funeral. That's the lie. But we're so convinced by the lie that even if we see him, apparently, we still doubt. What a hold What a hold Satan has on us all. Death lies to all of us that it is the greatest power of all, but Jesus wants you to come and see and believe. He wants you to come and see and believe. And when you really believe in something, you have a hard time keeping it to yourself. So that brings us to the last section, which is come, see, believe, go, and tell. Jesus said to them in Matthew 28, next verse, He came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know what that means? It means a humble carpenter from Galilee who everybody ridiculed his entire life from being born out of wedlock to the point where he bragged about being God himself until they could finally take it no more, so they crucified him on a cross. This same Jesus will come again. He is the one who died, was buried, and lives forevermore. That's why he said all authority has been given to me. He conquered Satan. He conquered sickness. He conquered the supernatural. He conquered sin, and now he has conquered death. Come see and believe, and let that change the way you think about life. Jesus reached in the hands of the evil one and snatched away the greatest lie of all, that death is our final curtain. And Jesus alone has power over death and the grave. There is no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men why we must be saved. John, in the New Testament, John was banished to the island of Patmos because the Romans had enough of him too. He wouldn't stop talking about the resurrection Christ. So they banished him to Patmos. And while he's there, He writes the book of Revelation for the church. Do you know what the introduction of the book of Revelation is all about? Jesus appears to John. And I want to read you a part of after he appears to John, how John reacted. In verse 17 of Revelation chapter 1, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. 
And here's the best part. I have the keys of death and Hades. You know what that means? Jesus died, got the keys from the devil, raised from the dead, and anyone who wants out, you can get out. But you don't get out on your good behavior. You get out on the coattails of the one who died for you. Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection is what it took to take care of your sin, to banish it, and give you hope and promise of an eternity with him. He's the only one who holds keys to the death, to death and Hades. Listen, if you're in a fight, you want to be on the winning side, right? Right? right. Know that when I was a hockey player and I grew up and I was, I was playing on the street with my friends and, and we would choose teams, we'd all line up and you'd pick the big ones first, <laughs> right? You want the big ones first, the scrawny ones, what are you going to do with them? I mean, they're, they're, they're bumps on the way to the goal. They, they'll get in the way, but that's about all they can do, right? You can lay them down in front of the, in front of the goal, but you can still shoot it over their heads, so... They're not good for much of anything. So I, when I was growing up, I didn't sprout until I was like 14. I was always last on the team. But when I was 14, I decided I'm tired of being the last one on the team. So I worked out like nobody's business. You know, I was one, one of those Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I just worked, I worked, I worked. And I got, I got fairly big and I got to be, and I moved up in the ranks. I was like the second to last one picked. And then I was the <laughs> third to last one picked. And eventually I became the first one to be picked. And that feels really good. Why? Because if you're picked, you assume you're being picked because you're going to be on the winning team. If you're in a fight, you want to be on the winning team. Jesus has won this battle over death. You want to be on the winning team. There's only one God who holds keys to the grave in Hades. There's only one Messiah who was killed and rose again. There's only one who promises us eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ. Come see and believe. Because of my sin, my death is a certainty, but because of Jesus, life is a certainty to all who believe. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For me, life came from an empty tomb. For you, life came from an empty tomb. Jesus has risen from the dead I have a job to do, and so do you, if you believe it. Come, Jesus invites us all to come, not just you, just, not just me, not just because I'm, I'm preaching from the front so I got something to offer him, that's not how he chooses. He chooses the weak so that he can be strong through them. He chooses the unwise, so they, the foolish, so they can make the wise people look silly. He rose from the dead because death fooled us all. Jesus always loves to turn things upside down. You need to come and gather like we do every Sunday and come and be reminded that sin doesn't win this one. This victory is already, already sound. It's already done. You've got to get people on the winning team. You're invited every day to come and worship Jesus Christ whenever you want, wherever you want. And our job is not just to come, but it's to come and bring somebody with us. Come and see. Jesus says, come and see. Don't just see the horror of your sin or your brokenness, which you will see on a regular basis. You will let yourself down on a regular basis. Jesus doesn't say, come and see how broken you are. He says, come and see how I can overcome this part of your life. You can be more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Come and see. See that the tomb is empty. And see that because Jesus rose from the dead, you can too.
The empty grave is all there for us to see that he has all authority. And so in the next verse, he says, this is your project. Verse 18, go therefore and do what, church? Do you know what that means? Tell somebody. People who make disciples aren't people with a PhD after their name. They aren't people that stand in front on Sunday mornings. People who make disciples are people who have been changed by what they have come and they've come to see and they've come to believe. They are people that make disciples because you can't shut them up. For 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these disciples could not be shut up. They were tortured, they were beaten, they were executed in the worst ways possible. Their families were killed in front of their eyes and you couldn't shut them up. Watergate had 12 people that were convicted. 12 people who held to a lie for three days. It's the best that they could do. But after those three days, they began to crumble and break, and after a week, Watergate became this greatest scandal in all of history. These were powerful, 12 powerful men. Chuck Colson gives this illustration. I want you to meet 12 not powerful men, but because they were so convinced by what they saw, they kept this news going for 40 years as their lives were torn apart by people who screamed at them, stop talking now, stop saying that, stop talking, and they couldn't be shut up. Why? Because if you come and you see and you believe, you can't help but to go and tell. It's not just enough to let this truth change your life. This truth is meant to drive you to action. You know what drives me to action the most? It's my friends and my family. Why in the world would I want to enjoy eternity apart from you? I don't want to do that. That'd be the worst, that'd be the worst way to enter into heaven is to, is to walk up there and, and then to know that somebody that I poured my life into and loved while I was here doesn't have the same gift because they never bowed their knee to Jesus Christ. We are meant to do something with this information. And so here's a little pledge I have for you this morning. I have set aside the next two weeks to talk about something I'm hoping that will appeal to you or your friends. I realize some of you only come to church on Easter and only on Christmas. No judgment, I know that's just how how the ball rolls, that's life, all right? I don't wanna waste your time. But I've sat and I've talked with Michael about this and 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 we prayed about this and we asked God for direction about this. He's gonna do something a little bit over at Bartlett, but I'm gonna do something different here. What I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you and both ask you and let you know that for the next two weeks, I'm gonna preach about two of the greatest reasons you should do something with this information you know about Jesus Christ. The first one is I wanna talk about how Jesus impacts our lives. That's gonna be our first Sunday. My goal is to do an apologetic sermon Basically, that simply means give you as many reasons as I can give you as to why you desperately need Jesus in your life. Why you shouldn't go one more day without him. All right? If you give me that Sunday, I'll do my best not to waste your time. All right? No deep theology, no, no, uh, no huge hermeneutic words. I can't even say it. Uh, no, I'm not going to be pulling out my big thesaurus, theological thesaurus. I'm simply going to give you as many reasons as I can why Jesus is something you desperately need in your life. He needs to be in your life now. And if you buy it, fine. If you don't buy it, no judgment. But I want to do that for you. I want to give you every reason. So if you know somebody that's thinking to themselves, why in the world do I need Jesus? That's our first Sunday, all right? 
And no judgment, again, it's going to be just, just out there. Blah. It's, here's, here it is, and you do what you want with the information. But I want to prove to you why you shouldn't go one more day without Jesus. And then the second Sunday, I want to talk to you about the second thing, and that is why you shouldn't go one more day without a church. I believe, not because I work in a church, but I, be, I work in a church because I believe this. I believe church is the greatest institution on the planet today. It offers me the most, it gives me the most, it takes me most places, it uses me in the best ways. Church is the best thing that I have experienced in my life. It's brought me to the greatest highs and it's taken me to the greatest lows. But through all of it, I have seen Jesus and his people in new ways and it's changed me. So, the next Sunday, I wanna talk to you about the church. So if you buy into it the first Sunday, come back the second Sunday. If you buy into the second Sunday, hopefully you'll start coming, coming on a more regular basis. If you want to blow it off and we'll see you at Christmas, that is completely up to you, all right? But I, I want to do this as a favor to you. I don't want to waste your time. I'm going to just kind of lay it out there and see what you want to do with it. The reason that I feel compelled to do this is because before Jesus died on the cross, he gave a high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And in this high priestly prayer, he prayed for two things. Guess what those two things were? The first thing he prayed for is that we would know a relationship with the Father like he had a relationship with the Father. That's the first thing I want to talk to you about. And the second thing is about that we would be unified in his family and his church all around the world, that we'd be unified in such a way that it would resemble the unification that exists between he and his Father. Those are the two things he prayed about, and those are the two things I want to share with you over the next two Sundays. So we've got a slide on that. Um, I'm going to also, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to call it, what's the difference? I want to show you how Jesus is different from every other religion around. So if you think to yourself, well, Craig, you know, Allah, God, they're all really the same. <clears throat> okay, come, come and we'll talk about it, all right? Come and, and we'll discuss, because maybe that's true and maybe it isn't. But I want to I do what I can do to help you with information that may help you in your life. I'm going to try to attempt to convince you that Jesus and his church can make your life a whole lot better. All right? The last thing is uh, go and tell. There's so, too much at stake to not, to not tell. Without this information, <clears throat> there's really nothing better to do in life than to share this information with others. Here's the bottom line. The stone was rolled away so that we can look inside and contemplate the truth about our lives. That's why the stone was rolled away. I take you back to 1 Corinthians 15 where we started. Verse 19, if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That simply means he was first, all us get to follow. For as by a man came death. Who was that man that brought death into the world? Yeah, Adam. By a man came death, by a man also, the resurrection of the dead has come. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Life came from an empty tomb. Come, see, and believe. And then go and tell. This is exactly why Jesus came. This is exactly why he died. And this is exactly what I was meant to share with you this morning.
Come and see, and then go and tell. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Let's pray. Lord, we celebrate your resurrection. As Paul reminded us in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if this is not true, then we are to be pitied above all people. Because we're believing a lie, a lie that we will take apparently to the grave and no further. <laughs> but Jesus has risen from the dead. It was so evident in his day that that happened that they tried to bribe the guards to keep silent. People were forced to ignore it. You can't argue with an empty tomb. You can't argue with, even though you doubt, you can't argue with a pierced side, pierced hands and pierced feet. Somebody who is dead but is now living and claims to have keys to death in the grave. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? <laughs> Jesus Christ has won the victory, and we are grateful. So we celebrate Resurrection Sunday because we know the promise it holds for us. Thank you, Lord, that all of the funerals I've done in the last year have reminded me of the importance of this truth. That for those who believe in you, to be absent from the body is to be present with you. It is such a powerful promise when we stand in the grave of those we love to know that they followed you, fallen as they were, flawed as they were, now in heaven, just as you are. We look forward to seeing them again someday. We love those promises. We know they're true. Thank you for giving us them all and that they are all amen, true, in Jesus Christ, whose name we pray, amen. <coughs>